0: Good morning, and if you're inclined to switch off during the notices, then you just missed the gospel, basically. (laughs) I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was in prison, and you visited me. Let's take some notice, guys. So, last week, Jeremy, with the aid of some hilarious assistants told us the story of everything. I'm going to zoom in a little bit, but only a little bit. This Advent, we're looking at how the birth of this baby boy about 2,000 years ago was a turning point for the whole of creation. And before I start, I just want to quote my sources. I've read this amazing book, um, The Holy Bible. I I recommend it. I'm going to be I'm going to be quoting from this quite a lot. Joel's going to have to keep up with me. We've got like dozens of scripture passages that we're going to read today. It's my job to try and give us a sense of how this event was on one hand, a long awaited and expected event. But on the other hand, it was much bigger, much more of a surprise than anyone had anticipated. God had been releasing trailers for this Jesus plan over hundreds, even thousands of years. And when Jesus was finally born and did his thing on earth, it bore all the familiar elements of those trailers. But it was bigger, it was better than even the angels had anticipated. Why is it important that we try and imaginatively place ourselves at various points of history before the birth of Jesus? Well, two reasons, I think. One is because I think the writers of the New Testament say that we should, and they spend a lot of time and energy trying to uh, imaginatively place ourselves within the, the, the grand narrative of God's story that he's unfolding. And secondly, because we too, right now, here, in the 21st century are in a period of waiting and longing and groaning for Jesus to be revealed. So we've got loads of scripture. We're going to begin with 1 Peter. This is what he says. Though, oh, you were so close. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Hope is not some kind of wishful thinking. It is a reasonable expectation of something that God has said he will do. And long ago, before Jesus had even been born, Peter says the Holy Spirit, called in this passage the Spirit of Christ, told prophets all about this Jesus plan. They were told not just so that they could know, but so that we could know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. The message of the prophets is there to verify the truth of who Jesus was and what he came to do. It's not fake news, it's good news, verified by the ultimate authority. So what did the Holy Spirit reveal to the prophets? That was revealed for our sake rather than theirs. To find out, we need to read the Old Testament with what theology nerds like me call a Jesus hermeneutic. That basically means put on your Jesus spectacles, and read backwards through the Old Testament. There's so much of Jesus in it. Among all the people that trail the Jesus plan, you could check out Adam, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Melchizedek, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron. Uh, the sacrificial lamb, Joshua, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, and even the Persian king Cyrus. And that's just a couple of examples, relatively speaking. They all pre-echo something of the Jesus plan. This morning, I'm going to do an in-depth study of all 17 of those examples that I just gave you. Now, I'm just going to look at a couple. David, Moses, and also somebody I didn't mess mentioned that's this mysterious son of man we're going to jump all around the bible think about how we can answer three questions who was expected who came and who are we expecting so let's start with david Because when you read the Old Testament, the most dominant idea of who we were anticipating is connected with the King David. David represents a kind of golden age for the nation of Israel. He was the king who ruled over a united nation, and he was a man after God's own heart. Israel was where it was supposed to be, doing what it was supposed to do. An independent nation known both inside and outside as God's very own people where his presence dwelled. And God made a promise to David that the line of David, his descendants, would forever have a king over God's people. And that by virtue of having a Davidic king over them, God himself would be the ultimate sovereign. So let's look at one of these, prophe- the, 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 the original promise as declared in 2 Samuel seven sixteen Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. But something went badly wrong. The nation split into two. The northern part got completely destroyed. Its people scattered to the ends of the earth. Eventually, the southern kingdom was uh, destroyed too, with all its people taken off into exile, some into Babylon, some into Egypt. And everything had just gone so wrong, and the people began to wonder, has God abandoned his promise to David? You read Psalm 89, And hear this, how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? You're nearly with me, Joel. Good good work, mate. This psalm ends by proclaiming, blessed be the Lord forever, but there's real anguish here. Desperate longing for God's loving faithfulness to reveal itself. I believe he is true. I believe he loves us. But it doesn't look like he is. And although the prophets came forward with a message of real fire and blood, they also brought comfort and reminders of assurances of God's promises. So here are five of those prophetic assurances. This is first uh, from Isaiah a shoot come out a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse <laughs> and a branch shall grow out of his roots the spirit of the lord shall rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord his delight shall be in the fear of the lord And and Jeremiah said, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. And Ezekiel says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. This is long after David's been dead, by the way. Uh, And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Hosea says, for the Israelites shall remain many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or teraphim. These are um, features of the, uh, the religious uh, uh, ceremonies. Afterward, the Israelites shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall come in awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And one more, Amos, on that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Many prophets, all from different places, all from different times, all speaking about the restoration of the line of David and God's promise and faithfulness maintained. So God intends to keep this promise. But then prophets start coming up with more details. And here are examples of some details. Micah 5, two, you, Bethlehem of Bethlehem, who are one of the little clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old and from ancient days. That's getting a bit more specific, isn't it? He's going to be born in Bethlehem, but his origin is ancient. Oh, what's going on? Isaiah 714 says, the Lord will give you a sign, look, the young woman or the virgin is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. And Zechariah, rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion, shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem, lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's this expectation throughout all of the prophets of a new David. The whole nation is groaning in expectation of a king who would care for them as a shepherd and reestablish proper worship at the heart of the nation. So David's a big part of the expectation, but who else? Moses. The expectation for another Moses goes back to Moses himself. In Deuteronomy, he says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you shall heed such a prophet. And then God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people, and I will put my words in the mouth of that prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. So the people aren't just expecting a king, they're expecting a Moses-like figure. And Moses is significant for two main things. As a prophet, somebody who met with God face-to-face and directly inquired of him and delivered God's message to people. And secondly, as a savior, someone who rescued them from, out, from under the yoke of slavery. And as Israel is in exile, which is when many of these prophets are speaking, that I quoted earlier, there's a real anticipation that God will lead them in a second Exodus from out of Babylon. Some of them are still in Egypt as well, so they've got to come out from the same place as the first Exodus. And that they would be led by a second Moses. So the expectation is for a king, for a prophet, for a savior. And the prophet Elijah is kind of wrapped up in this Moses-related expectation. Elijah was the prophet who, um, he was zealous for God under the rulership of an ungodly and wicked king, and he, with demonstrations of heavenly power, was victorious over that king. And Elijah never actually died; he was swept up. Do you remember in in uh, in, a, in a whirlwind where there were chariots and fire and all sorts of things? Dun, 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 dun. Exactly. So he never actually died. So, could the coming prophet like Moses be Elijah? The prophet Malachi thought so. In Malachi 4, he says, Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. So hundreds of years after Malachi's prophecy, people are still obviously expecting the return of Elijah. We read in the Gospels, this is about 400 years later, Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, Jesus actually affirms that John the Baptist was the return of Elijah, but John the Baptist himself said he was only there to prepare the way, prepare the way for King Jesus, the one who was the prophet like Moses. So an answer to my first question this morning, which was, who was expected is this, a king like David, a prophet like Moses and Elijah, and a savior who would rescue them from under the yoke of foreign oppression. But this is where things get really exciting as we begin to ponder our second question, not just who were they expecting, but who came? Jesus was all the things they were expecting, but he was so much more. Yes, Jesus was in David's family line. Matthew demonstrates this in meticulous detail at the beginning of his gospel. He has a genealogy. But he was also recognized by demons who cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the angel Gabriel, when he declared the news of a baby to Mary, said this in Luke, He will be great, and will be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give to him the throne of his ancestor david he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end by the standards of both the physical and the spiritual world he was a legitimate heir of david And he was indeed a prophet like Moses. John's gospel tells us that Jesus tells the Pharisees, If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. So he was David, he was Moses, but he was so much more, he was so much better. In Matthew, Jesus asks the Pharisees a question What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So if David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? So Jesus is from the line of David. But he's better than David because David himself calls him Lord, and he's better than Moses. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So exciting! He is the new Moses and the new David that the people were expecting, having heard from the prophet, prophets. But he's better. He's the new and improved Moses. He's the new, improved David. He's not just a king. He's the one that kings themselves say, Lord. He's not just a creation. He's a creator. And this is something no one saw coming. In Colossians, Paul writes this beautiful poem. says, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Guys, this is no mere baby boy. This is not just a man who represents all the best of all of his, Israel's history. This is God himself becoming human, and no one saw it coming. Once I was at a worship retreat, and I was uh, enjoying some late-night banter with my friends from Belfast, my second home. If you guys ever kick me out, that's where I'm going. Um, LAUGHTER I was enjoying some late-night banter with them. I probably had maybe a couple too many drams, and um, just this analogy just dropped into my mind. And I thought, if I mix a bunch of ingredients together in a bowl and stick them in the oven, I might come out with some decent cookies. But if you were to come along into the kitchen and say, hi, you would have no difficulty telling me apart from the cookies. You wouldn't look at the cookies and say, "Ha." There, there you are. Hi, Jesse. But with Jesus, God actually becomes the very stuff that he has created. So to to extend the analogy, when I take those cookies out of the oven, I'm still me, but those cookies are also me. (laughs) Whoa. So that evening, I I created the doctrine known embarrassingly as God is a biscuit. (laughs) But when you really think about this, it really is mind-boggling because it is beyond the realm of what is possible. We don't become the stuff that we've created, but with God, all things are possible. And that's what he did that Christmas Day. Like I said, there's a massive list of people that I could go through in the Bible that really tell something of the Jesus plan. I wanted to talk about how Adam is uh, the prototype of Jesus, and Jesus is the new Adam. Jeremy said a little something about that last week. Definitely worth catching the podcast, if only, <laughs> if only to hear the hilarity of all the kids' involvement. But here I want to talk about this feature of Jewish prophetic imagination that was um, about this mysterious figure known as the Son of Man. And here things get really trippy. And we're venturing into my favorite area of biblical literature known as the apocalyptic. Yep. I seem to have been able to preach several Christmases and I always get into the apocalypse because Christmas is the most apocalyptic season of the year. <laughs> apocalyptic basically just means revelation. It's it's um in in the Bible it refers to how the hidden things of the spiritual realm are revealed to those in the physical realm. It's the world of angels and demons where we begin to understand that the world that is physical, the world that we can see, is not all that there is, that there's something going on behind it. We don't always understand things by virtue of what we see. We sometimes need to understand things by virtue of what we cannot see. And so God gives us a glimpse, a look behind the curtain to see what's going on. But enough of that fun stuff. Son of man, he's seen in a prophetic vision by Ezekiel, but also in some really fun stuff in Daniel. Daniel's been fasting, and then he says this I looked up and I saw a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold from Ophaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like lightning his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the roar of a multitude. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision and the people who were with me did not see the vision, though a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled and hid themselves, so I was left alone to see this great vision. My strength left me, my complexion grew deathly pale, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And when I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a trance, face to the ground. And again, one in human form touched me and strengthened me. He said, Do not fear, greatly beloved. You are safe. Next Be strong and courageous says this one in human form to Daniel. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like someone we know. This one with a face like lightning, eyes burning like fire, says, be strong and courageous. In Joshua, we hear the Lord saying this, no one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. So in Daniel's vision comes this human-like figure who seems to have the very words and power of God. He seems to be in this Danielic vision, both God and Joshua. Joshua being, of course, the Hebrew version of the name Jesus. Who is it? Who is this man gleaming? Could it be an angel? Well, possibly. There's angels, there's even named angels in the vision of Daniel. And it's not the first time in the Old Testament that a a figure appears to be both angel and the Lord. We've done this uh, in home group recently where we explored uh, angelic appearances. And sometimes it's confusing. This is the angel of the Lord. But people say, I have seen the Lord. Moses, when he sees the burning bush, sees the angel of the Lord. But he actually is in the presence of God himself. It happens to Abraham, Jacob, Moses, to Ezekiel, to another guy and his wife, who we barely know, in Judges. And many Jews believe this figure to be the mysterious Enoch, who is only mentioned in a couple of lines in Genesis. It says something like, uh, Enoch walked with God and then was not. And there's all this... uh, kind of speculation. What happened to Enoch? And if you've ever heard, uh, all right, this is me going off on a tangent now. If you've ever ever heard of a character in uh, in Christian uh, kind of mythology called the Metatron, who sounds like a transformer, but isn't, um, (laughs) the Metatron, that is Enoch after he's been transported into heaven. All his flesh melts away, and he becomes like Yahweh. They even call him in the uh, the book of 3rd Enoch, they call him the lesser Yahweh. He's like God himself. And so we get all this angelic imagery around Enoch. It's not Enoch. It's Jesus. How do I know it's Jesus? Because in Revelation, John sees the same thing. I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. On turning, I saw seven gold lampstands, and in the midst of lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash across his chest. His head and hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, just like Daniel, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, just like Daniel, and said, Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. This is very similar, is it not, to Daniel's vision? Except here, this person is identified as Jesus Christ, risen, ascended, glorified. He's not Enoch, and he's not an angel. He's Jesus Christ, the baby boy born in Nazareth. It's clear that in some churches, there was some confusion as to what kind of being Jesus was, whether he was some kind of angel, even if he was the chief of angels. But Hebrews tells us this, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's Angels worship him. There is only one person worthy of worship, and that's God. And yet these are words spoken to who? David. And Jesus is the new David. So the author of Hebrews claiming two things. Jesus is the Davidic king, and he is far superior to the angels and to all other human beings. He is worthy Of worship. He is the God man, born in Nazareth, known by many, now glorified as the risen Son of Man. So, like I said, a good book. And I come now to my last question as we just sort of come into land. Who are we waiting for? We're waiting for this same Jesus born in Nazareth, now glorified as the risen Son of Man, our high priest, our king, the voice to the prophets, the chief prophet, our redeemer, our savior, the new Adam, the better Abel, the word himself who spoke creation into being and still holds it all together in himself and is still at that same time part of his very creation itself that's who we're waiting for but when he comes again it's going to be altogether different there's not going to be any confusion about who he is my last scripture reference this evening this evening this morning feels like evening now doesn't it from my favorite book revelation again it is i jesus who sent my angel to you with this testimony For the churches, for us, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let everyone who hears say, come, and let everyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. And the one who testifies to these things says, surely, I am coming soon. And John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So Peter told us that the prophets heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, when they spoke about Jesus. It wasn't for their sake. It was for our sake. We who now preach the good news of Jesus, we therefore stand as successors to the prophets. They foretold the good news, and so do we. Jesus is coming again. We proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done, but also the good news that is assured to us, but not yet fully here. How long? O oh Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and I'll pray. Lord, where can we go? but to you who have the words of life. Would you who spoke all things into being now speak into us and birth in us a hope not of wishful thinking, but of the assurance that you are a good and faithful God and that you will finish what you have started.